to The Corinne Barakoff Show. Coming up, I'll be talking to Scott O'Dell. You'll remember that I spoke to Scott back in August when he was alienated from his son after his ex-wife kidnapped him. He's now seen his child and wants to share an update with us all. First, I've had so many messages about this, I have to get stuck into this new Guardian series entitled The State of Men. I know, I know. I can hear you all groaning, you can guess where this is going. It's supposedly going to look at what it means to be a man in 2020. The introduction reads with all the gender buzzwords you'd expect from The Guardian. It begins, as long-standing structures of gender, power and privilege undergo major reappraisal, masculinity finds itself in a state of flux. Pervasive stereotypes about men, that they are fundamentally aggressive, domineering, promiscuous and unemotional, are slowly being dismantled, freeing them and society at large to reassess what makes a man. I have to ask, why is it that the left are obsessed with masculinity when they don't want to shine a light on femininity? And why the obsession with masculinity when gender is supposedly fluid to them? Men aren't fundamentally aggressive and they're not fundamentally unemotional. Men are unique human beings just as women are unique human beings. Why is this war on men so relentless, so biased and so harmful? If gender is fluid and all beings are encouraged to live the way they truly wish, can we stop using masculinity as a label to describe everything that's toxic, unattractive, undesirable or evil? This narrative is causing untold damage in society and is undoubtedly impacting mental health. In reality, there's been a flurry of disturbing news stories over the last few days about toxic women. Look at this story about a woman who was arrested over the suspicious death of a man named Jared Lovison. And this horrendous story about an ex-Sydney teacher who groomed students in her care for sex. She alleg allegedly paid one of them $29,000 for his silence. This English teacher was a married 27-year-old. She's pleaded not guilty to 21 charges before the court. And look at this story about a 30-year-old woman who's been charged over the murder of a hero New Zealand firefighter who was killed while helping to fight summer bushfires. A man and a woman have both been charged and police will allege that the pair struck Mr Pullen in the head after he was run over. So, once again, I'll say, there are good men and bad men, good women and bad women. Now, speaking of good men, let's have a listen to Scott O'Dell, the father who was alienated from his child after his ex-wife kidnapped him and had been blocking access. Hi, Scott. How are you doing? I'm okay. I do my best every day to try and be as happy as possible, to have some moments of happiness. I got to see my son last week. I flew Tell down me, to Columbia. Let's um, let's just just a, a couple of sentences, just background, um, just to just to remind people where we were up to the last time that we spoke. Can you please? Okay. Um, as of the last time we spoke, I hadn't seen my son in a long time into the United States, so that we can share in the custody of my son because he was 
taken against my will, you know, from the USA. So um, now I had arranged because they lifted the international restrictions to Colombia. I was able to book a flight and visit him for a couple of days, you know, so I did that. I wish it was under better circumstances, but I did get to see him and it was really, really great. You know, it made my heart feel good for the first time in a while. Oh, bless you. So tell me about that. Did So how did the um, conversations go with your ex arranging that? How was that system? Well, when we first, when I first said that I was going to, to go down there at first, they had said, well, you could stay here in the house. And I said, well, I'm certainly not going to stay in your house because you had said that I wasn't the nicest person and there were allegations that I, you know, was not a great guy. So I basically just said, no, I I will rent a place and a couple of blocks away because at first she had said, well, it can't be in a restaurant and it can't be in a park because of COVID and COVID is getting stronger around here. And if you bring anybody, you have to get COVID tests for everyone. Now, I was already going to get a COVID test because you can't fly unless you get a PCR test. And a lot of people were taken off the plane because they had other tests, antigen tests, and so forth. But I had mine, and I had mine in time. So I had other friends that said they were going to to go with me, and I had arranged to get them tests and told them that that was a requirement of her so I could see Emmanuel. And I booked a house, a pretty nice house, and said, your family can come. It's You don't have to go to the park. You don't have to go to the restaurant. Uh, we can You can bring them over to the house, and it's big enough for everybody to go there. And of course, when I got there, then, well, no, it has to be in a park or it has to be in a restaurant. And they would not come to the house that I rented. So I was told that I had to go alone and alone only. And at that point, I had no choice. I I had to go. I wanted to see him so badly. So I had to uh, kind of go into the unknown. So I went and met them first at a location that was given to me, I don't know, an hour before before, uh, I got there. And when I arrived, it was a what they call a postretaria. It's a like a dessert restaurant place with a park in the background, in the back for children to play. And there was a lot of kids and other people in the restaurant. And as soon as I, you know, walked into the back, there was a man in body armor with, uh, you know, a weapon and, you know, a, a ninja star in his boot, if you can believe that, you know, one of those. Japanese throwing stars, the circle with the stars in his yes. boot. So yeah. my son was very happy to see me. Now, I wish it wasn't under that kind of circumstance, but, uh, you know, I had to deal well, with it at that time. Absolutely. And you were on your own as well. So that must have been quite confronting. What was his first reaction? The, my son or the, yeah. the, the, yeah, the bodyguard? Uh, of course, he was ecstatic to see me, you know, and that gave me great hope because the bond that we've always shared was very strong, you know, and I thought, you know, he was going to forget about me, but, you know, to tell other parents what I'm going through, if you show love all the time to your children, all the time, and there's never any conflict and that's all they see, it maybe it doesn't matter what other people tell them, you know? So it seemed to me that 
he was just completely ecstatic, you know, to spend time with me. And I had told him I was going to bring him a monster truck, remote control, and, you know, uh, a bunch of other toys and chocolates and things like that. You know, I, I don't know how it supports anybody's case to bring somebody armed that a child visit, but that's what I had to deal with, you know. Did you have to, did she, did she talk about that? Did she discuss that with you? No. Was it just completely, no? No, no, no. Were there any, was no, there any explanation? No, there was no, I'll, later on, I, I had the next, I, when I had called the state department and sent them messages and my attorney, I had said, well, this guy is armed. They had said to me, well, see if he has something called the salvo conducto, which it, it's sort of like a, a, a carry permit. That in that country, you're not allowed to be just randomly walking around in public with a weapon, you know. So they asked me if he had that, you know. So, of course, the second day at a different, you know, restaurant that I was told to go to alone, I got there a little early. And then he arrived on his motorcycle in the same, you know, you know, armor and, you know, whatever, you know. So I went up to him directly and I asked first, I said, you know, you're not going to put your hands on me. You know, I don't want any problems. And I'd like to know what, you know, where your permit is, the salvo conducto. And he was like, what do you mean? What, what you know, I, I just have my ID. So I said, OK, well, give me that. And I took the picture of that. And, um, you know, I took a couple of pictures of him and then they showed up and I enjoyed some more time with my son. He stayed there and watched me and stood in the background and wherever I walked, he followed me. And then he surveyed the area, you know. I guess they told him to do that. But I think after a certain period of time, when um, they when he said, well, he asked for my permit and he has my photograph and I don't I, I would assume he didn't want to get involved anymore. So when he left that day, you know, I didn't see him the next day. But the first day he had he didn't wave the gun in my face or anything like that. He just had it, you know, in his belt like a revolver. And then when he said goodbye, he was like, ciao. And then he kind of stood up and, you know made sure that I saw it saw it in his belt, you know. Do you think he was there for intimidation? Because she wasn't yes. seriously, yeah, just intimidation. I guess. I mean, I I mean, what was he gonna do? Just start blasting <laughs> if they if they uh saw something that they didn't agree with? I can't imagine how this was beneficial to the child. I mean, there was other kids around, so I, I really don't know how that helps anybody, you know, right? Everybody's I just want to share my son equally. That's really all I want, you know. So yes. I suppose it was intimidation to to drop the case, but I I would love to have an agreement that really was fair, you know, between both parties and just move on with our lives. But if you don't follow some sort of legal process, I mean, then you're leaving one person in complete control. And you know, what kind of agreement can we have if I have to be under supervision? of somebody armed, you know, just to see my son. Like they said, yo, you can come to see him anytime you want, any week. Well, first of all, I can't fly every week from the United States down to uh, this area because once you get to Bogota, you have to take a four-hour drive or a bus through mountains, and it's not safe. It's just it's just not. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, they were protesting because somebody was electrocuted with a stun gun in the street, a citizen in Bogota, and then you know, the people protested and the next day the, the police shot and killed over, you know, about a dozen people and, you know, injured 70 or 80 others. So I I certainly didn't think if I called the police to explain to them that this guy is intimidating a foreigner with a gun that that was going to help me. You know, you have spotty Internet coverage and 
you're not going to be able to to call anybody and say, hey, come here. I mean, I don't know what would happen then. They could tell them anything that they want, you know. So I'm just happy that, you know, under those circumstances, I got to see him. I got to spend time with him. I got to hug him. You know, I, I said to him several times how much I love them and I always will. And he said, you know, también, papi, you know, I, I feel the same way, you know, me also. And it was great for those moments. It just was under a little bit of duress in the beginning. I, I wasn't really afraid, but, you know, I, I don't know what could happen, but I had really no choice through the whole process. So I either, you know, see him or I, I wasn't going to see him. So Exactly. You know? And Scott, tell me how much did that trip cost and how many minutes did you get to spend with him? Well, it probably cost about $3,000 because the flight was probably $550. Plus I had, you know, all the things I I wanted to buy for him and bring him. And then you have to pay extra to carry certain things. You have to take a significant amount of time off from work, which costs you money. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I had I had to pay for a lot of other people, you know, to be around. I mean, you, people aren't going to do things for free. You know, I you have to I had to ask people to come with me. I had to rent a house several hours away. And obviously I had to cover their costs, too, of food, everything, gas. So probably about $3,000. So I certainly can't go every week to see my son. And I'm certainly not going to see him, you know, under, uh, you know, somebody with a gun, you know. And so that was the first time that you'd seen him in how many months total? Uh, it was, I, I saw him last year, you know, at a restaurant or a couple of restaurants uh, about 12 months ago. And then. And before that, I hadn't seen him in a year. So I've only really seen him. I saw him for about three hours a day this weekend, mm -hmm. you know, each day. And then the third day, of course, you know, it was over and I left. You know, I just I, it, it was one of those things where it could have gotten ugly. So I just decided that, you know, I didn't want to have an incident or be provoked. So it was best to say goodbye. I did get to see him and it made me feel really great inside that uh, I got to share that with them, you know. I've been dealing with a lot yeah. of pain for a long time. So, well, I mean, it's the still there. I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you about, yeah. obviously, it would have been fantastic to see him. And it's great news that it doesn't seem that he's been um, kind of poisoned against you too much and led down that path. But how hard was it saying goodbye and then coming um, coming back home? You know, it's it's the the greatest pain in the world because I want to wake up to him every day. You know, I want to hear his laughter every day, you know, just to, to, to laugh and joke and, and hug him and smell him and, and feel that love was really, really amazing. You know, it's an experience that only people with children would understand, you know, and, you know, having to let that go is just crushing, you know, it's crushing. I mean, the, the ride from when you know you're going to see the child for, who knows how long, you know, that's what was said to me. Well, you've suffered for two years, you know, how much longer can you take of this, you know? And well, I mean, I can take it every single day uh, until, until I have an agreement where I can share my son equally and both people can move on with our lives in a happy, positive direction Then I'm going to suffer, I guess, every day for a long time. So, and so where, where are you at now? Like, what's the relationship like as far as kind of negotiating? It's, it's so awful, isn't it, that literally a father has to go through this, but negotiating terms. Um, where are you at with custody and, and what kind of settlement do you think you might be able to reach? 
I really don't think that that an agreement is possible with with her and her family right now. It has to go through a legal process because the only thing they're going to accept is complete control and supervision only. And I guess that I, you know, support her and the child in, in South America. Yes. And, and I'm willing to do that here, but I mean, I, I, I can't see how I can guard or, you know, for two, two hours, every two weeks with everybody around me, you know, looking at me like, okay, what is he going to say? I have to be here for every moment. I, I think I should be able to see my son alone. And if I can't see my, my son alone, then I, I'm going, always going to fear that I would do the same thing that they did, which was just take him without my permission. So I would assume they're always going to fight for this has to be supervised. I want him to see his child, but I have to be there. We have to watch him, you know, because they would always have to fear that I was going to take him. But sometimes people project what they would do onto you. I Absolutely. wouldn't do those yeah. things. I just want I want to get in front of any judge right now. I want I would be happy if it was a South American judge or a U.S. judge, because I believe that with all the evidence I have to support my case, that I was a good father, you know, that I was a kind man, a good husband. I love them all. So I don't see why I would have to go through any kind of restrictions with my son. You know, I should be able to have him come here, spend holidays with me, summers here, go on vacation with him wherever I want around the world. You know? yeah. So that's what I want. So I can't yeah. see settling for anything that where somebody says, well, you could see him, but we have to be there. For the rest of what eighteen years, because well, you're going to be afraid that exactly. you know I'm going to take him. And but that's that's essentially the kind of um, much as it sounds awful. That's the best case scenario in some ways. You know, the worst case scenario is that you're just blocked from seeing him again. The best case scenario is that you're really looking at year after year after year of supervised visits. Yes, until until legally, some country makes a decision, you know, which I hope that, you know, they eventually send him back and, and and she could come back here too. I mean, I just don't see how it's beneficial, especially with, with what's going on in the world with the pandemic and hunger in that country and unemployment. I still think it's better for our son to be raised in the, in the United States. And if not, we have to share both cultures. He ha He's American, you know, he, he was born here. He's a U.S. citizen. So he should be able to share with both families, both cultures and both countries freely, freely with me, or, you know, and, I, you know, she could spend as much time as she wants with him, too. But I don't think it's fair that I have to be under any sort of supervision or restrictions. You know, that's not good at all for him. And, you know, maybe it was OK this weekend, but there's going to be times of alienation. You know, it comes and goes. I mean, for the most part, the last few days has been OK. You know, since I was there and, and maybe maybe they think it wasn't a great idea after all to to bring, you know, an armed man to our our visits. So it's been OK. But then next week that could change. And the next thing you know, the, it's shut off and goodbye. Ciao. Say ciao, papi. You know, that's it. You know, so I'm sure you've talked to several people in this, this situation like mine that go through this, the same things. You know, some days may be all right. It's never good. I mean, I'm still, I feel like I'm imprisoned. I feel like I'm 
a victim, I feel like I'm being humiliated, you know, most of the time. So, but and, it's and better to take the humiliation. And completely out of control. You know, that's the, as you say, it can be turned on. It's like a tap. It can be turned on, turned off, that kind of, that access. Um, and, exactly. But I that's, to- the, the child is used as a weapon, basically. Yes. And when they feel like hurting you, you know, or making you suffer, you suffer. There's no other way. I mean, you can't really react to it because if you do, then that would be used against you. So you kind of have to take it all in no matter how somebody treats you. You sound remarkably calm and strong, just as you did the last time that we spoke. How do you manage to do that? How do you manage to, like, this is like being trapped in a in a long-term nightmare. It's not something that's going to have a, a quick and easy fix. It's not something that's going to be fixed in a couple of months. It's potentially years ahead of you of, of this kind of battle and struggle. How do you keep yourself so sparkly mentally? <laughs> well, I'm not really sparkly, but... Uh... <laughs> You do, you do sit within a nightmare every single day. And the best thing you can do for yourself and for other parents that I've talked to in similar situations, I have a friend where two weeks ago at my current job, uh, the same thing happened to him. You know, we've talked about my situation before, and now he's lost the child of seven years that he was with or eight years. And the woman completely just disappeared, left her apartment and went to Bulgaria with his, with his child. So he's going through the same thing. But I live in the nightmare every single day, but I have to suffer for him, you know, because if you ever give up, then one day that child is going to say, but Poppy or daddy, you, you didn't fight for me. You know, you, you, you know, why, why didn't you love me? And that's what I keep thinking in the back of my head or, you know, in my emotions or my brain all the time. My heart is, is that one day he's going to ask me, you know, what happened? You know, and I, I know that doing even this could hurt me in some ways because it's going to make people angry. But he's going to grow, grow up and see how much I cared, you know, that I, I do love my son and I'm not going to stop loving him. Every single day, I'm going to fight until I have equal rights to be with him. You know, there's never good days. I mean, I did have happy moments when I was with him and sometimes I forget and I laugh with my coworkers or I find a distraction that helps me get through the day. During this whole time, I taught myself to play guitar. I've been studying Spanish. I realize I have to, I have to learn a second language at my age. And it's not easy to go to work, two jobs. I'm an audiobook narrator. I, I work, you know, for Hard Rock International. I, I study the guitar and, and other things to distract yourself, you know. So that's how you get through every day is you try to create a passion. You try to create hobbies. You do your best to to get through every day and be as healthy as possible. And sometimes, you know, you're a burden on your friends and family because there's it's never always good and bubbly. I mean, sometimes you're talking to people and they're tired of hearing your pain. Right? What last message of hope can you no, give to other people who are together, stuck in sort of, similar, similar, it does make sense. Other, other parents who are in, well, um, find themselves in similar situations. The biggest thing I can tell other parents is no matter what happens and no matter what is thrown at you to provoke you or to get you upset or to make you suffer, because it's very difficult to cope, you know, when when you see your child is taken from you at any time that they want or you have to wait or schedules are changed. Just when you do get to see them, even if it's just that you see they're alive, 
show as much love as you can. Whenever you're around the child, just show that you love them over and over and over again. You tell them every single day, every time you see them, that you love them. And I think if you send that energy to your children, eventually they're going to know. And no matter what anybody says, they're going to be able to say, well, you know, whenever I was around my parent, you know, it was great. And I felt that they loved me. You know, I never want my child to feel unloved and I never want them to feel abandoned. You know, I, I, I really wish that everybody else felt the same way. But, you know, um, to tell other parents, just don't stop fighting. You know, once you give up, it's all over. You know, you, you just have to keep your focus, focus on the love of your children and yep. try to set a good example. Don't fight. You know, I know it's hard when somebody's being a certain way to you, but you know, it doesn't help if you do that around the, around the child, you know, no matter what anybody does, just be a good person around your kids, you know, and they, I always, they say, I always say, whatever is thrown at you, stay in the right, stay calm and stay in the right. Try to stay calm. It doesn't always work yeah. that way. Sometimes, yeah. you know, people can lose it, you know, when, when you're treated a certain way, but I try my best to, to just take a breath, to take it and hope the next day is better. You know, yeah. to, I, I hope that I just hope that one day the nightmare ends and that I can look back on this and say, wow, I can't believe I got through this. You know, Scott, thank you so much for getting back in touch. And thank you so much for the update. You're okay. um, incredibly strong. We send you all of our best wishes and I'll check in with you again soon. Thank you for having Take me. Care. I appreciate it. Bye. Take care. Thank Bye. You. Thank you. I'll keep in touch with Scott and let you know how his custody battle is progressing. Now I want to say something about the mainstream media providing a platform for women's bad behaviour. You'll remember that Arabella Del Busso faked pregnancies with NRL star Josh Reynolds. She also faked cancer. She was invited to star in SAS Australia on Channel 7. The media reports that the show's directing staff were shocked as they read up on the 30-year-old glamour model's track record. She's apparently used 10 known aliases, false cancer treatment, digitally altered photos of herself to appear pregnant, they read. Arabella herself had the nerve to call them little white lies before quitting the show. May I ask, why on earth was she ever invited onto the show? These are not little white lies. Why are we excusing this woman's absolutely foul behaviour? Pretending to be pregnant, lying to your partner, saying that you're pregnant, is not a little white lie. That's a calculated act of evil. Faking pregnancy photos is not a little white lie. Faking cancer is not a little white lie. Can you even imagine if the genders were reversed here? Can you even begin to imagine the screeching if a man who had treated a woman so badly was given a platform on reality TV? Except a man can't pretend to be pregnant, can he? He couldn't fake photos. And the last time we heard about someone faking a cancer diagnosis, that was a woman too, Belle Gibson. Where is the equality here? Why do we accept different standards from women? Why are bad, hideous, foul women permitted a platform? Why didn't TV production staff do a proper job of vetting this creature? And where is the outrage when a rancid woman is provided with a publicity platform? I despair. 
we must all keep on trucking, keep raising our voices and keep telling the truth. Right, that's enough Barraclough for now. See you next week. The Corin Barraclough Show is a production of The Good Source, hosted by Corin Barraclough. To watch, listen to or read more new media without the social justice warrior narratives or politically correct fact filter, visit goodsource.news. That's good, S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show.